You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning, City Church. How are we doing today, by the way? We doing all right? Yeah. So from the looks of you, it looks like uh, some of you put a little thought into what you put on uh, today. As I look around, it looks like some of you made some pretty good choices as to the clothes that you're wearing today, pretty good fashionable choices. Uh, others of you, not so much, but uh, we won't say anything about that. Uh, but in this series we've been looking at, um, putting on the new you. Uh, now, we, we, we make a choice every day to put different clothes on, don't we? And some of us go to our closets and we see stuff that we don't wear anymore that we probably shouldn't wear anymore because it's like, you know, a little tighter than it should be and we have to get rid of those things or give them to the goodwill or uh, something like that. And Paul tells us in a spiritual sense, there are some things we should be taking off and some things we should be putting on as a part of the new you. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, where Paul says, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And he says, put on your what? new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so that's why throughout this series, we've been reminding each other, put on the new you. So would you do me a favor and turn to someone next to you and say, put on the new you, Jack. All right. So, um, Each week what we've been doing is we've been studying through Ephesians to answer the question, what is the new you, right? Because if you're supposed to put on this new person that you are in Christ, then what actually is that? And each week we're kind of unpacking a new facet of it. And when I was studying the passage for today, um, I couldn't help but think back to a 4th of July a few years ago. Now, I love 4th of July because most men love fireworks, right? And fire. Anything having to do with fire, men are into it. Can I get an amen, men? <laughs> I love that. It's like, hey, man. Right. So anyways, my neighbors, if, you know, my neighbors, they shot off these great fireworks. They spent a lot of money. It looked like one of those theme parks, you know what I mean? They're shooting these rockets up in the sky. It's like, poof, you know, it's amazing. Well, I'm a little bit on the cheap side. So I went to one of those little stands along the side of the road, and I bought the little uh, economy box where you could get a few sparklers in there, you know, and some other things like that, a few firecrackers. And there was one pretty good-looking firework in there, and we'd watch my neighbors blow up all these awesome things. I had a group of people over at my house. We were having a great time and a great party, and I got the biggest thing I had in there. I don't even know what it was supposed to do. And I pulled it out, and my friends were looking, oh, cool, Doug's going to blow something up. So I set it down in the street out in front of the house, and I have my little punk, you know, that's got a little fire on the end, and I lit the fuse. And we were all anticipating when I lit the fuse, you know, like a, you know, and it's coming down. We're thinking, yes, it's going to like blow up the whole world. It's going to be glorious. And so anyways, it got to the firework, the fuse did, and it went. (laughs) It was a total dud, right? And so my friends are laughing at me. (laughs) Your fireworks suck, dude. You're so lame. And I just look at sinners, you know, what are you talking about here? Well, we, you know, sometimes that happens with us in the spiritual realm, right? Because we read the Bible and we see these powerful, explosive spiritual lives. And if you're like me, maybe sometimes we feel that we're a spiritual dud. You know, we're supposed to have this spiritual power that makes our spiritual enemy run because we're exploding with spiritual power. But sometimes we feel like we're just kind of fizzling. 
a little bit. Well, uh, here's the mental picture I had of some of your spiritual lives. You're kind of like some of you, because of your thinking, you're kind of limiting your spiritual life, limiting your life, kind of like a pumpkin that grows up in a jar. The pumpkin is designed to go way beyond where it is, but it's being confined by the jar. And I believe that some of our thinking is confining us to uh, limiting us beyond, uh, uh, beneath what God wants us to do. See, God wants you and I to have this explosive spiritual power. And so today, I wanna submit this one simple idea to you, and that is the new you is powerful, not puny. The new you is powerful, not puny. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor and give him a good hearty fist bump, you know, even make it hurt almost, and tell him, you're powerful, not puny. Okay, it's just one sentence. It doesn't take that long as you just shake it off there. So what I'm desiring for you is to break out of those jars today and move from being spiritually weak to being a spiritual weapon. Move from being like a spiritual wuss to being a spiritual warrior in Christ. And I wanna show you this in Ephesians where Paul prays, to, uh, prays for us. He says in Ephesians 3.16 uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with what? power through his spirit in your inner being. And that word power, because the, Greek, uh, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek word for power there is dunamis. And basically what it means is like this explosive dynamite spiritual power. And so what you got to understand is when you invite Christ into your life, it's not always just this immediate explosion. Now, sometimes God will give these immediate uh, jolts of spiritual enemy and power, but most of the time, it's a process. It takes time. In the, uh, grammatically, Ephesians 3 is made up of a series of what's called henna purpose clauses. And what that means is one thing builds on another thing that leads to the next thing. It's a process. So it's kind of like in martial arts. How many of you have ever taken karate, martial arts, taekwondo, anything like that? Wah! Okay. So, um, so what you know is you didn't get to be Rex Kwando overnight, did you? Okay. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I didn't get to go home to Starla just after my first lesson, you know, uh, it, because it takes time. You have to learn the first belt, graduate to the next belt, then to the next belt in the process of learning there. And so what I wanna show you today is the first phase of your spiritual power is the white belt of respect and intimacy. Respect and intimacy, that's in Ephesians 3, 14, where Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before the Father. So the posture of our prayer is significant. The reason that when we invite you to come and pray at the front in church, we ask you to bow your knee is because it's a posture of humility before God. It's like saying, God, hey, look, I'm, I'm not in control. You are. I'm humbling myself for you. We don't come before God and say, Jesus is my homeboy and all that kind of stuff. Sure, he's our friend, but first, we recognize the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so we bow before him and say, um, hey, look, you are sovereign 
powerful, in charge, and we respect and honor you, right? But what you gotta understand is you're not bowing before like some supreme chancellor or the heavenly CEO, but you're bowing before the Father. Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father. You're not bowing before someone who doesn't care about you. Now, sometimes I'll stand out here with the other parents when we're waiting for our teenagers to get back from city youth camp. And you know, all the parents are standing around talking and we're joking, you know, and we're saying, hey, I wish Robbie would keep our kids for another week, man. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. Um, but, we're, but what I see in the faces of these parents is that no matter how much we joke around, we're all longing for our kids to get home. We want them to be here, see? And that is the longing that's in the Father's heart when you and I come to him in prayer. He, he's not like, scolding you, saying, oh, for crying out loud, you know, when you're gonna get here. He's longing for you out of a fatherly love and affection and, uh, uh, you know, uh, this gracious compassion for you is what he's feeling. He's anxious for you because God wants children, not minions. That's why when John says in 112, uh, chapter one, verse 12 of his book, but to all who believed in him, accept him, he gave the right to become children, of God. So he just doesn't want little uh, Christian soldiers. He wants children to share his love and affection. Now, after we respect him and we gain this intimacy with him in prayer, we move to the yellow belt, which is spiritual strength training. That's in Ephesians 3.16. Paul prays that we are to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so when you work out, some of you started workout programs, you know, and you're doing, you know, curls or squats or whatever you're doing, you know, you don't do one workout and feel strength. You work out over a period of time, and after six months or so, you're like, whoa, I feel a little bit stronger. Uh, wow, I, I can see some development there. And the, the same is true in our spiritual lives. That's why uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he's like, our outer man is perishing daily but our inner man is being strengthened day by day. All of us know that our physical bodies are decaying, aren't they? For some of us, they're starting to sag, aren't they? But our inner man can be renewed day by day as we walk with the Lord. You can be stronger spiritually in your latter years of this life on earth than you were in your earlier years. Paul goes on to say in another passage that bodily exercise prophesies a little. It does, it's of value. But righteousness, he says, delivers from death, see? So we want to be strengthening our spirits. That's why I applaud you for coming to church to hear the teachings of God's word, to strengthen your spirit, but we also wanna practice the spiritual disciplines. And could it be that the reason that you and I do not experience the spiritual power that we see in the New Testament of the apostles in Jesus is because we don't practice their disciplines? Let that land on you for a second. Could it be the reason that you and I don't experience his power is because we don't practice the same disciplines that they practice in the New Testament? Before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, like without food and water, for 40 days. 
If you wanna learn more about the spiritual disciplines, I wanna give you a couple of book recommendations. One was written by a professor of philosophy at USC. His name was Dallas Willard. He wrote Spirit of the Disciplines. That one's kinda heady. If you want something a little simpler, you can read The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. But they talk about five important disciplines for those that are trying to follow Christ. Of course, there's prayer and Bible reading. There's fasting. There's silence, being, being quiet and alone with God. And then secrecy, not just posting on social media all the things that you're doing to help flood victims, but the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We want to do our righteous deeds in secret. Um, but when you practice the disciplines, you're putting on the new you that is powerful, not puny. Now, once the spiritual strength training is consistent, you can move on to the green belt. And the green belt is where Christ is at home. Look at Ephesians 3:17a. That is the first half of the verse. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now, you would read that initially and you'd think, oh, that's when I invite Jesus into my heart. That's not what that's talking about. It assumes that you've already invited Jesus into your heart. What this means is that Jesus feels at home in your heart. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, have you ever had like that crazy relative, uh, like that, you know, weird uncle or something come and visit and he's staying in your home and he's going to stay for a couple of days, but he's like, well, I'm having a good time, you know, like Clark Griswold, I'm going to stay for a week and he keeps staying and you're like, you're not even comfortable in your own home because crazy uncle's there freaking everyone out. Or it's parents like when you worked really hard to uh, clean up the house and then your kids just like a tornado, just tear up the whole house and mess everything up that you work for hours to clean and you don't feel at home or comfortable in your own home, see? That's what we're talking about here as Christ is in our hearts. Does he feel at home in our hearts? Now, there's this great book written years ago by Robert Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. And basically, the metaphor is when Christ comes into your life, it's like he walks through the front door of your house and he lives in your heart. And the different rooms of the house represent the different facets of your life. So he goes into the kitchen and the kitchen represents your desires, what you consume. And then uh, he cleans the kitchen and then he goes to your bedroom where you express your sexuality and all of that. And he cleans that up. And then uh, he goes into the living room where... Uh, you're entertained in the things that you're putting into your mind, and he cleans that up. But then he walks down the hallway, and he can't help but smell what's in this closet. It's just a small closet. And he's like, hey, I want in the closet because I need to clean that up. And then we stand in front of the closet door, and we're like, nope. Jesus, I gave you the whole rest of the house. Just go on to the living room. Go on to another room, but you ain't getting in there because I've given you everything else, but this one thing, this one closet is mine all mine. I'm keeping it, and you ain't going in there. But here's the deal with Jesus. He loves you. He'll let you keep your closet, smell and all, but he wants in there. He wants to clean that up. And you know, we have a process here at church that helps you deal with those very difficult to give away closets in our lives, and it's called recovery or peel the onion when you get down to the layers of those issues in your heart and soul. And that uh, orientation is happening today right next door on the second floor at 2.30. And for some of you, it's time. You've been putting it off. You'll hear the announcements. It's hard to get into the whole deal. Today is the day for some of you to go through that orientation. But when Christ feels at home 
in your heart, and you know what I mean by that, um, you experience a new level of spiritual power. But look at the blue belt, what happens next? It's an experience of his love, Ephesians 3, 17b through 19. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And so I brought this tape measure today because Paul talks about God's love in terms of measuring it, right? He's saying, uh, hey, you'll have this spiritual experience of how high and how wide and how deep um, the love of God is. But here's the thing. He also acknowledges in the text that there's not a measuring tape big enough to measure the greatness of God's love. The measuring tape that it would take to measure God's love would not fit in this building, on this planet, in our solar system, or even in the universe because it's beyond what our finite minds can understand. Yet at the same time, as we walk with Christ and practice the disciplines and as he feels at home in our hearts, we have these experiences of his love. Some of you have, have experienced this. You're just praying alone with God and you're overwhelmed with tears and an experience of his grace in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, man, how did I ever get to enjoy this love? And it motivates you to overflow that love to other people. And I like the way Mother Teresa explains it. She says, when you know how much God is in love with you, then you can only live your life radiating that love. Isn't that the truth? And so what happens is, is that love as you have an experience of it, and which, by the way, let me just say this. A lot of churches are big on, like, knowledge, which is good, isn't it? But some churches, all they ever do is talk about knowledge. Like, hey, look, Bible knowledge is great, but even one of the greatest intellects that this country has ever produced, Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the early presidents of Princeton University, he says it's not just knowledge, but there's an experience of God's love. And so there are some churches that focus just too much on the knowledge and nobody ever experiences God. It's like a morgue in there, right? It's cold. And then there are these other churches that everybody's foaming at the mouth, having all these emotional experiences, you know, and all they do is talk, you know, get you worked up emotionally and it's all foam and no root beer, man. There's no substance to it. There's no doctrine to it. There's no true teaching there. But what God wants for you and I is for us to love him with our whole heart mind, body, soul, and spirit. See, it's a holistic kind of experience of God's love. And once we have it, we move on to the red belt and experience spiritual power here. And this is like a mind-blowing spiritual power. Look at Ephesians 3.20. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. He says, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works, within us. And so it's like some of us have experienced this power, and there are a lot of us in this room who have had significant addictions. And some of you, like me, would say, hey, look, I tried. I tried everything I knew to do to get over this particular addiction, but the power of God somehow set me free. I tried. I know I didn't have the power to get over that, but it happened. Another way that God shows his power is in spiritual warfare. We see that in the book of Ephesians as well. 
power over that spiritual enemy that's trying to keep us down, to keep us from knowing our new identity, our, our, the new you, see? And I'll never forget when I experienced this one time some years ago in Mexico, and I tell this story every so many years uh, because it was so formative in my own spiritual development, but what happened was I was with a group of people from City Church. We were ministering to some people in a town square down in Chihuahua, Mexico. We were walking around the town square. I saw this lady. Uh, everybody in the town square was afraid of her. Um, she was this bald lady with a scar down her face. They called her the witch, the bald witch lady. And she would look at you, but when she would look at you, it wasn't just a kind of a look, you know, but it was a like that, you know, I'm like, man, it's like the ojo on steroids, you know, and it's freaking me out. And I'm thinking, what's, what's wrong? I'm thinking maybe there's some mental illness here or some problem like that. And we end up in a conversation, right? Well, as we're talking, what freaked me out a little bit were these evil voices coming out of her. Now, this is the part, you got to buckle your seatbelts a little bit. This is a little bit weird, what I'm about to tell you. And I'm thinking again, well, maybe we've got some multiple personality disorder or maybe schizophrenia or something because these multiple voices are coming out of one person. They understand both English and Spanish they're speaking. And I have my interpreter there, but here's where it took a turn for me and I couldn't explain this away anymore. Is when bald witch lady started reminding my interpreter of some sins she had committed years ago specific things. How did this bald witch lady know this about my interpreter when these two had never met? And I could no longer sweep this under the rug or explain it away through mental illness. And isn't that the enemy comes to us and reminds us of our past and reminds us of the ways we failed, trying to break us down and shame us and guilt us. That's the enemy who's the accuser of God's people. And I did not like that. And so we started to confront the bald witch lady or whatever was manifesting through her, the evil, the demonic, in Jesus' name. And they started getting louder. And it started to create a scene because there was a bus stop right here. And all these people were waiting for their bus. And they're watching this, you know, like spiritual circus go on. And they're freaking out about it. Well, my friends that were with me, they came behind me and form what we call a prayer wall where they're just praying, oh Lord, please uh, help us overcome evil. Keep that lady from killing Pastor Doug and cutting his head off, you know? Well, as we continued in the conflict and we continued praying, it was evident that the bald witch lady did not want whatever evil was inside her to leave. She wanted it there. And we continued to pray and speak in the powerful name of Jesus. And she ended up running away, screaming, quit your damn praying. And everybody in the town square had been afraid of her. And everybody at the bus stop started applauding and clapping because they had never seen anyone stand up to the bald lady before because they'd never seen a release of the power of God as the Bible talks about. And when those releases of power happen, it's not so that we can say, oh, we're these spiritual Jedi, but it's so we can move on to the black belt, which is proper credit. Look at Ephesians 3.21. It says, to him be the glory in the church. And by the way, in the church is significant here. That's why there's this narrative that the enemy is spreading throughout our culture that church is a bad thing 
because the enemy wants to keep people from church where people hear the life-giving message of Christ, the love of Christ and the gospel, the message of the cross. The church is significant and important in God's economy of things. So he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in all generations forever and ever, amen. Through all the generations, not just the older blue hairs and not just the crazy young millennials and not just the middle-aged people, but for all the generations should be represented in the church where God's glory is stewarded, see. And you know, one of the powers that God loves to release the most isn't just the power over the demonic. And it's not just the power to heal our inner and outer wounds, but it's the power to save That's the power he loves to release the most. That power that helps a human being. It's the greatest miracle of all. When a human heart awakens to the reality of the presence of God, when a human heart moves from death to life, when a human heart is able to say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I welcome him into my life. It's called being born anew. That is the greatest miracle. And I wanna get your help today, believers. I wanna wanna ask you to help me pray here in just a minute that there would be a release of God's saving power today. Because it's not just us believers here, but it's others who are spiritual investigators that are open-minded to the things of God and just trying to figure out if this God thing is for real. Because maybe you've seen fake Christians. Maybe you've been to places where they don't love people, but they judge people. Maybe you've been to all kinds of whack churches or whatever. Maybe you grew up uh, going to church, you know, like an Easter bunny, you know, hopping in and out on Easter and Christmas, you know, but you didn't go all the time or don't really know uh, what's in the Bible, but you're open. You're a spiritual investigator. And so spiritual investigators and believers alike, could you bow with me in prayer now? And let's ask God to really do something today. And those of you that are Christian believers, I wanna ask you to join me in praying in your hearts right now, just where you're sitting, just say, God, would you please save people today, help people to be born anew today. God, please shape my heart that I would pray with conviction and power and love like Paul had when he said, I would myself be a curse for the sake of my kinsmen, my brethren according to the flesh. In other words, I would be willing to go to hell so that my fellow countrymen could go to heaven. That's how much I want them to know you, God. God, please hear our prayers there. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps some of you who are spiritual investigators might wanna pray an honest and open-minded prayer to God, just saying, God, if you're really there, will you please reveal yourself to me? Now, don't pray that prayer if you don't mean it. And the reason is you might become like that dog that's chasing the car and you don't know what to do if you catch it because you'll have to believe if he does. So just say as honestly as you can, look, God, I know you're way beyond anything. If you're really, a, if you're really God and if you're really out there, you're in charge. You're way wiser than anyone on this earth has ever been and you're very powerful, but yet you've revealed yourself as father and I wanna know you, I wanna be your child if you're really there. So will you please speak to my heart today? 
Could we all just pray silently just for a brief moment and ask God to awaken people to eternal life? And as we've prayed, and if the power of God is awakening your soul today and you would like to begin a relationship with God, it's very simple to do. Just simply talk to him and say something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sin. And God, I welcome you into my life. Please come in. I want to be your child. I want you to be my spiritual father. Welcome into my heart right now in this moment on this day. Now, if you just prayed that and you'd like me to know about it, would you just peek up at me real quick? Anybody around here? Excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anybody back there in the back? See you back there. Good, yes. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing all over this room. Thank you. And those of us that know you, God, those of us that just met you and those of us that have known you for many years, we're praying that we would not be of that group that wants religion without power, but that we would express your love and your grace powerfully in this world to your credit and honor and glory. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.